Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. While the word ecosystem seems to be wildly overused in the agri food space today, Jaheel Oliver, CEO and founder of Hello Tractor, is putting a new spin on it. Jaheel and his team are creating an equipment ecosystem for African farmers, lowering the entry barrier to fancy farm equipment and giving child labor, or all menial labor for that matter, a run for its money. Well, thanks for coming to Agri Insider today, Jaheel. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you, Alicia? Doing well, thank you. Good. I thought we'd get started at the very beginning, um, kind of of your career, maybe even of your journey in agriculture. What got you into this industry? Yeah, well, I started my career in finance. I was doing private equity and investment banking in the U.S. and wanted to pivot my career into work that I found more meaningful. So I started doing deal structuring work in microfinance. Uh, that was my entry point into Africa and working in Asia and across the emerging markets. And uh, what I observed is that most of the, of the folks in these regions earn their income on mass uh, on the farm. And so I started to explore how to bring finance to farmers in a more sustainable, scalable way uh, commercially which then led to mechanization and exploring the importance of just having access to basic equipment uh, to close the yield gap, stabilize these rural economies. And uh, from there, Hello Tractor was born. Okay. No, that's, that's super interesting. You don't hear a lot of people who go from a finance background and pivot into agriculture. I feel like it's yeah. usually people uh, try to get out of <laughs> agriculture, right? Um, <laughs> That's because it's a bad decision, Alicia. That's why you never hear it. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. It is a life. You know, my, my, my dad calls it a lifestyle choice. Agriculture. It's a lifestyle choice. You want to make a small fortune in agriculture, start with a large fortune. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, it's, it's yeah. so true. Um, so I guess that's a great segue to kind of what, what drives your passion then. I mean, you kind of touched on it, bringing some of the yeah. finance and technology to African markets. But but I mean, maybe mm -hmm. dig deeper into what what's driving that passion for you. Well, you, you look at the role agriculture plays in Africa specifically, it's about 40 percent of the continent's GDP, 60 percent of the labor force is involved in agriculture and agro allied industries. And I really wanted to see sustained economic growth on the continent. That's what drove me to move to Africa and, and do work on the continent. And I saw this as a commercially sustainable and scalable way to attack one of the most important industries um, on the continent. And I think even when you pan out from the region and look at the role agriculture plays globally, obviously we all need to eat. Um, but if you look at where there's the most potential in our global food system, it's Africa. Uh, but the yield gap is also the widest on the continent. So closing that yield gap through uh, introducing mechanization, digital tools, finance in a smart way, um, to me is also, it's a global story and not just a regional food security story. Uh, and that, that's really what it inspired me to start the business. And I think it's, it's the same mission that inspires everybody in the company to continue to push even through some of the hard, difficult times, which there are no shortage of. So. Yes, no, I, I, I can imagine. So I'm actually now pretty curious because you've mentioned twice, uh, you know, agriculture is a tough business and there's yeah. difficulties. Uh, and I can only imagine coming from this this industry, you know, myself. But what, what can you maybe share a story? I mean, what's some of the, the, the struggles you faced in agriculture, I guess, starting Hello Tractor? Well, we can start from the very beginning. You know, when I started the business, our first market was Nigeria. I knew I needed to be in market to be effective, so I moved there. And when I moved to Nigeria, um, Boko Haram had just kidnapped those girls. That was a big story in the international news. Ebola had just started. 
right? So there's a massive pandemic um, in the region. Uh, and then the Nigerian economy uh, slipped into a recession. The Naira depreciated against the dollar by 250%. So there's a lot of issues that we had to grapple with at the macro level. And those issues created all sorts of headwinds for us as a business. And it was difficult at the time, but I think when we look back on that period, it also built an incredible amount of resilience in the team, uh, patience, understanding that a lot of problems are just outside of your control and some you have to just wait out. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's helped us and really served us moving forward, even as we go into the good times. We always kind of temper our expectations around what's possible because you can't outgrow the market. Um, so those are really valuable lessons, but that's just a, a small sampling of some of the challenges that we were confronted with. And it's kind of funny when the global pandemic happened, most folks on our team kind of shrugged it off. Like we're kind of used to these kind of shocks <laughs> where everybody in the world was freaking out. Everybody on the team, on the Hello Tractor team was thinking, man, this is just like another Tuesday. Right. <laughs> What's the big deal? So, um, so that, was, that was interesting. That 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 is awesome, and I think I mean I spent a little bit of time in Africa, and I think sometimes that resiliency that you see in the people there, it's so beautiful. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that in the context of Hello Hello Tractor. Um, so you moved the business from Nigeria to Kenya, then is that like so you made this full transition? You switched the headquarters. We yeah, we opened a second office. Um, I, effectively, I guess the. When I moved to Kenya, that created a new center of gravity. So we started to, to hire other senior leaders to join the team and they just kind of naturally moved to Nairobi. Uh, we never officially changed the headquarters, but uh, oh, okay. we're too we're too small to even talk like that. We got an office in Nigeria, we got an office in Kenya. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, okay. But nonetheless, I guess my question where I was kind of going with this is, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in getting involved in the African continent. I think what you talked about mm -hmm. at the beginning of, of the podcast, you know, there's a lot of untapped potential in Africa. For sure. From your business experience. And, and you know, I'd love to hear a bit more also about your background coming and growing up in the States and kind of moving to Africa. But from your kind of perspective, what are some of the benefits of being in Kenya, I guess? And, and how has that you know, what are some differences you see even between these two countries or countries holistically mm -hmm. in Africa? Um, because both are quite agrarian states, but maybe they're in different yep. development phases. Maybe there's a reason, right, that Kenya kind of drew you in. Yeah, it, it's pros and cons to both, right? Nigeria is, in a, is a massive market. It's the biggest economy on the continent by a factor of two, right? right. By a multiple of two. Um, biggest population on the continent, tremendous upside. Uh, it has challenges, um, much more volatile currency, uh, much, much less uh, consistency in the agricultural policy and the policy environment. Um, there uh, security challenges. I think they get overstated, but there are security challenges in the country. Um, but then you go over to Kenya, much smaller market, Smaller population, smaller economy, but more stable, uh, friendlier business environment. Ease of doing business is, is much more um, attractive to, to tech companies and uh, outsiders coming in. Um, and so, again, like it's, it's just pros and cons, right? And so what benefited us in Nigeria was very attractive market and a lot of space to innovate with some very, very impressive entrepreneurs who could take an innovative business model and really kickstart that go-to-market motion for us, learn a ton um, because the adoption of these new practices was uh, happened so quickly. And, and, and we got saturation in Nigeria fairly quickly as a result of that, which then gave us a launch pad to go into Kenya, right? When we got to Kenya, there was a friendlier business environment, but what we brought with us was discipline, um, was a bit more patience that you don't often see 
with with startups, but it's it, it's at least my belief that that patience is is mission critical when you're talking about building a company in agriculture because the adoption cycles are much much slower. Um, you go to market is going to be extended a bit. But taking that into Kenya, we were able to do all sorts of interesting things, introduce new products and um, new features to the technology, engage new partners who may be more comfortable working in Kenya versus higher risk markets. And that accelerated the business further, but it was built on the foundation that we created in Nigeria. So mm-hmm. a little bit about Hello Tractor. So tell us about Hello Tractor. Why Hello Tractor? Why now? Yeah, I mean, farmers across smallholder production systems largely lack access to mechanization, lack access to tractors, combines, all the equipment that they need to plant on time and cultivate the land they have access to. And we saw technology as a bridge to bring that that uh, those innovations that farmers across commercial agricultural systems enjoy. Um, and so we we saw an opportunity to introduce technology on both sides of this marketplace. You have farmers on one side, you have farm equipment owners on the other. Um, we first introduced, we were first to market with a fleet management solution for smaller horsepower tractors. This is the, uh, the category of equipment that is used across the emerging markets. Um, we connected those machines to the cloud, gave the equipment owner security and visibility on that machine through our apps. So they can monitor where their equipment is going, um, how much work it completed, fuel consumption, fuel theft, um, and then a booking application where they could connect with farmers in need of tractor services who are being booked through a separate Hello Tractor application, being used by what we call booking agents, people who live in agricultural communities. They have two or three hundred farmers in their network say, hey, instead of farming manually, I can get you access to a tractor. Um, I go out, I book that, that those farmers' fields, and that booking is then transmitted to the farm equipment owner that's available, that's closest by, that has capacity to service the demand. And that's facilitated through the technology. Um, and and it was, it's cool to see that unlock a value on both sides. Farmers can plant on time, maximize their yield, um, we, we just did some customer surveys where you see triple digit income improvement from accessing tractor services through Hello Tractor. That's amazing income growth, right? I'm talking about like cash in pocket, right? And these are 55% of our customers receive services for the first time in their life through Hello Tractor. So it's opening up an entirely new class of farmers accessing uh, tractor and mechanization technology. And then on the tractor owner side, you get to earn more money with your equipment um, while doing good in the world. And who doesn't want to do that? So it's a good win-win. So if, if I'm getting this right, the alternative for your client base would be doing this by hand or by horse or by, I mean, or just the local tractor that's run down or, I mean, what, what is the alternative if they don't have access to this ecosystem of farm equipment? Yeah. You know, to be honest, Alicia, our biggest competitor is household labor, which is unfortunately often children, right? And pulling your kids out of school because you can't send your kid to school on an empty stomach. So you first got to get the your farm operation set and then um, do things like educate your children. So we, um, we're helping to disrupt that massive problem, right? The second is migrant labor. But as we know, globally, and this is especially acute in Africa, um, aging farm populations, rapid urbanization, there's been a broad-based depletion of labor in these rural communities. So the, the labor just isn't available. And often, you know, tractors supplement that loss of labor. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened commercially at scale in Africa, and, and that's the problem that we're solving for. That's extremely interesting. Uh, your your biggest competitor is child. I mean, child labor that might be going a bit far, but household labor. I like that word. Um, yeah. And I think 
you just kind of dawned on or my I thought of a point while you were speaking, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't too long ago that a lot of these developed nations or Western societies were also still bound to the land. And I, I talk about this quite a bit. You know, mm-hmm. everyone that kind of sits in a desk job or, you know, I don't know, has is doing science or research or anything really that that is in agriculture is made possible by modern agriculture, right? It's freed us from the yeah. land, equipment, chemicals, uh, you know, the kind of industrial revolution or green revolution is what has enabled yeah. us to to kind of develop our, you know, education, our academics, yeah. our, um, yeah, who we are kind of in the, in the world as a species. And I think it kind of gives me goosebumps thinking about it because it seems like you're helping with that evolution in Africa. Yeah. Helping these yeah. kids that maybe instead would have to be working at home get an education, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, eighty percent of the child labor, right? And, and Africa is a big contributor to, unfortunately, to child labor. Um, about eighty percent of it is because of agriculture, right? And so it's not just technology that makes life easier for you know farmers. Um, and puts more money into the pockets of farmers. That's important. And that's ultimately why we started the business. I think what we didn't understand is all the ripple effects from having manual forms of farming as the dominant practice, right? Child labor, drudgery, the alternative income that could be earned, even from an adult farmer, right? Who can no longer go out and go into the city or go into the community and do more, you know, higher productive work, you know, in processing, all sorts of things that people can do with their time outside of back breaking work out in the sun and uh, we're solving for that. And, and, it's, and it's, it's special to be able to create that kind of value. And I think the, the, the entire team feeds off that. I think it's a huge motivator for all of us. Absolutely. No, a- a- absolutely. Like I said, it, it gives me goosebumps. Um, so from a technical perspective, would you kind of compare this to like the Uber of agriculture? I mean, Uber is very, you know, fast paced and you can get an Uber within 10 minutes these days, right? Uh, but maybe yeah. on a slower, more agricultural related scale, is it kind of set up like an Uber? It is. I mean, you can think it's collaborative consumption, right? You have a one-to-many relationship between the asset owner and the customers that they service. Uh, I think there's also a lot of nuance there. You know, Uber, when they sell cars or when they sell their technology into the market, the cars already existed. In many instances, we're the market maker for our asset class, right? We're introducing tractors. So that comes with complexity. For Uber, you know, when they're connecting drivers and riders and a car breaks down, there's already infrastructure to fix cars. That's another problem we have to solve for, right? Um, You know, there's drivers, licensed drivers in the Uber ecosystem that already existed, whereas for us, we actually had to create an operator training program um, and a technician training program. So we have like this vocational school hat. That's also meaningful jobs, dignified work for our community, but uh, it's just more work, right? So yeah, I think it's true that we are like an Uber type platform for the agriculture space, uh, but there's a lot more that we have to do just to get to, you know, level one, right? In that double, yeah, in that double-sided market. And we're not complaining because I think those are all value points that strengthen our business, but it means it takes longer to reach that exit velocity. Right. So what you're describing is not only providing the platform where the tractor can find the farmer, but actually also the road it drives on, the license to drive the tractor, the food. And I think those are the things, right, that, you know, coming from the States myself as well, we take so for granted, right? There's all these support systems that help these functions proceed and and, and become successful, right? I mean, the amount of food safety trainings and also just, you know, like pesticide applicator trainings and just all these support systems that are government mandated. 
I don't know, do they just not exist yet in, in Africa? Does it require that level of pioneering or or can you collaborate there? I guess I'm curious how how developed yeah. is it in that sense? It's a lot of collaboration. At least you hit it right on the head. It's a lot of collaboration. Um, I just got off of a really exciting phone call with one of our biggest collaborators and our biggest investor, John Deere. Um, they've been a huge supporter of our work and helping us build out all these adjacencies to our core tech primitive, which is our fleet management and our marketplace to connect the tractor owners to the farmers. Um, they're a valuable partner in building out all those adjacencies. We also work closely with other large corporates uh, from seed, fertilizer, crop care, soil testing, to bring those capabilities into our market. And the benefit of being a digital platform and, and truly digitizing that last mile is that those data points create a de-risking factor for many of our corporate partners who would otherwise look at these markets and be very skeptical about how to engage and maybe just unclear on how to engage and where to engage, right? But digital and data help to uh, large players understand where there is value um, for their product. And through the clustering of the demand, you know, you have to cluster farmers into groups in order to make tractors uh, profitable. That same economies of scale is relevant for seed distribution, fertilizer distribution, trading, uh, post-harvest. Uh, and so you can kind of help create a foundation for that ecosystem to now build on top of. And, and we value our partners who are walking that journey with us. Uh, partnerships are, I think, key, especially in the startup space. Um, yeah. Which brings me to my next question. Uh, you know, you've, and I'd love to get into this now in a little more detail. You, you grew up in the States. I, I, you know, I looked you up. You've done some, I've done some research. You worked on Capitol Hill. You've got something going on with the World Economic Forum. You just mentioned John Deere as an investor. Um, I mean, how has it been for you being what I call an ag tech startup, African-based ag tech startup, and kind of yeah. putting into these relationships? Are there any anecdotes you can share specifically to kind of bridging, I guess, the Western world or the United States with Africa? Um, yeah, is there anything insightful there? Um, I think a bridge is a good analogy uh, in bringing new relationships, new sources of capital, new insights into a market that is full of opportunity our biggest resource in this market is talent, but what's going to unlock that talent capital, put in the right places um, and connections with other innovators, large and small. Um, and so that's a big part of my role as CEO of Hello Tractor. Um, I also like to think of it as a hub and spoke, right, where Hello Tractor kind of sits in the center of this ecosystem and we have all these really important spokes across academia, research, policy, private sector, large corporate, private sector, um, startups, and, and even SME level um, finance, right? We had a financial product that we launched last year where we finance tractors into the market and in injecting liquidity into uh, traditionally unbanked communities of entrepreneurs who were full of potential but lacked opportunity. Um, so we have, you know, a, a spoke in the financial community. And I think bringing all these pieces together is the only way that that wheel spins and that virtual cycle continues. Um, but it's almost like a snowball effect because, you know, as it spins, it, it creates more and more momentum and it gets bigger and bigger. And eventually, hopefully, we'll solve the problem completely. Um, I do think we're on the right path, but I still think we have a long way to go. Yeah, no, it's 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 super interesting. And I think it's interesting that you're bringing your finance background in. So maybe just shedding some more spotlight on that, because I'm sure I have listeners yeah. who, uh, you know, maybe come from finance, right, and are exploring this agri sector, because at the moment, 
Uh, I don't know if you've read this, some of these statistics, but the VC space as a whole has gone down their investments and their, their kind of um, yeah. access to cash. But the sustainability yeah. and kind of agri space has actually stayed pretty solid in that downturn. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess what for you being having seen both sides of that coin, right, the finance world and now African agriculture, is there any insights or anecdotes or I guess any skill sets that you're leveraging from this previous chapter of your career today um, or any kind of tips of advice you could give people wanting to, to bridge that gap? Yeah, well, definitely that's when my skill set became most relevant was when we started financing tractors and fund structuring and, you know, setting up an off-balancing vehicle to finance a traditionally unbanked population of entrepreneurs took, um, uh, a big push from an entire team of folks, but I was at least relevant in my, <laughs> because up until that point, I, I was always the dumbest person in the room. And then once we started financing tractors, I was like in the middle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been the smartest person in the room at a tractor meeting, but um, at least sitting somewhere in the middle where I could at least have one or two things of relevance to say. Um, and it's an interesting product. Like, what do we do with the pay-as-you-go tractor finance product? <clears throat> we have, as I mentioned earlier, these agents in the community booking networks of farmers through our Hello Tractor application. They're paid a commission for that, right? But now through pay-as-you-go, these entrepreneurs can graduate to become tractor owners, right? Once they reach a critical mass of booked acres, we can assess that, underwrite it. We have developed our own risk scoring framework using data coming out of our application and qualify people based on a book of business that they have. We don't need their bank statements because they don't have a bank relationship. We don't need a credit score because they don't have that either, right? But we can look at their success in booking farmers um, and then the serviceability of that demand and reward them with an opportunity to own a $30,000, $40,000 piece of equipment wow. that is quite literally a life-changing asset for them and their entire household. It can change the entire trajectory of a family. That machine can take you from earning a few hundred dollars a month to thousands of dollars a month, right? Wow. And if you continue to if you continue to have success, you can get a second one and a third one, right? And there's no upper limit. I just think that's a beautiful way to align um, commercial finance with really deeply impactful work. And the way we understand that credit risk pulls from, and, and the way we structure not only the credits, but even at the fund and portfolio level, it incorporates the best of finance so you can remain intellectually stimulated while doing highly impactful work. I just left uh, a meeting um, with an investor and we were talking about um, running Monte Carlo simulations in the portfolio to accommodate for climate risk, right? That's work that we do internally. We don't outsource that, right? We have hedging. The, we borrow in dollars and hard currency. We lend in local currency. We don't want wow. to expose our customers to FX, to foreign exchange risk, right? So we do Black Shoals modeling to price the risk in our portfolio. And you see, this is my, this is my world. Now I'm getting excited. But, but we're, we're, do, we're utilizing these best practices to extend the amount of capital going into wildly undercapitalized markets with tremendous potential for the, again, for the region, but also for the world. And that's exciting, right? It's intellectually exciting and it's very meaningful, right? So you wake up excited doing that work. So now I'm also very curious to understand when you came to agriculture after leaving finance, Mm -hmm. They're totally different worlds. And, and I can speak a little bit from, from experience, um, having a lot of friends in the finance sector and, you know, just the, the, these are very different worlds. And I think it's amazing that you're bridging them because what you find a lot also in agriculture is that people don't know how to approach the finance world or the banking world, right? It's a very common yeah. problem in a sense. Um, and that's a whole nother topic is that financial sustainability in agriculture, which I'd love to yeah. pick your brain about, but 
what shocked you when yeah. you left finance and came to agriculture? I mean, you said you were the stupidest guy in the room at times, which I really appreciate because agriculture is complicated, right? And it's it not is. straightforward. So I guess what, what shocked you when you, when you started in ag? Well, the complexity for sure. Um, the importance of system thinking with agriculture, right? The food system is globally integrated. Prices are, transmitted from Brazil, Black Sea port, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine, obviously U.S. Midwest and the Canadian prairies. Like these price signals affect the most rural farmer sitting in the middle of nowhere in uh, the middle belt of Nigeria or Western Kenya, right? Or the Rift Valley in Ethiopia, right? And that interconnectedness forces you to understand everything from geopolitics to trends in the global food system. Um, and then when you get down to the in-country stuff and even in-field stuff, the system that exists on a farmer's field, right? Below the soil and the surface soil from organic matter to managing organic matter in the soils through best practices, um, the water and controlling your water tables and water resource management. I mean, once you start digging into this stuff, you start to understand and appreciate the complexity of the system. And there's just an infinite reservoir of learnings there. And the folks that know the most are some of the most humble, some of the most hard to find people because that's also the culture of agriculture and the culture of farming. And that's true in the Midwest, where I'm from, right? As true in Africa, right? Where where we focus a lot of our work. And that's just kind of a humbling kind of thing to be around so many really smart people that farming for generations who know so much and we talk to them, it's just kind of matter of fact about everything. Um, that makes it kind of a, a easier in, industry to enter into. When I entered into finance, I didn't know anything then. And it was very difficult to get up that learning curve because people use their insights and their knowledge as a weapon against you versus an opportunity to collaborate and educate and get you up to speed on something. And I think there's some comfort in agriculture as, as a result of that, as a new entrant into agriculture. That's really interesting because I've also heard people say agriculture can be quite uh, closed off at times as well. It might just be geographic or regional, right? Um, depending on where you are, there's different communities. But I, I love that you said that there's this interconnectivity in agriculture. And I think it is so mm -hmm. true. I mean, you could take a fruit farmer in South Africa and they'd find a million things to relate to with a fruit farmer in, I don't know, Germany, right? You could take, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an African wheat supplier and they'd be somehow still connected to the, I don't know, massive largest pr producer in Brazil, right? Like there is this connectivity on a human level, but then there's also this connectivity in just interdependency on the supply chain, right? What you were saying, geopolitics, yeah. climate. And I think that's the really beautiful thing in my perspective about agriculture. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, 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 they say you're a jack of all trades for a reason, right? You have to deal with the weather. You have to deal with, like you said, soil science, plant science. You have to deal with business, um, yeah. you know, accounting, compliance, international trade, sales. I mean, you're affected by all of these different um, trades. And I think there's definitely yeah. fluidity in the industry that um, deserves a spotlight. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's beautiful. Like it's, it's fascinating. Um, as you said, the more you get to understand, the more you can appreciate and respect it. I do think the, what can be interpreted as farmers being closed off I think is risk management that oftentimes, especially in tech, we don't fully appreciate. We don't appreciate customers who aren't willing to fail fast because if a farmer fails fast, they might lose the farm <laughs> versus just deleting your app and then life goes on. No, like farmers are amazing risk managers and that means it's gonna take them a, a bit longer 
to adopt your technology and all this fancy stuff you've been working on that may or may not work if we're being honest, right? And so um, we also have to respect that, right? Like I got 60 chances as a farmer. Am I going to waste one of those chances on you or risk one of those chances on you, right? Um, And potentially ruin an entire season and maybe lose my farm. That's a big, you know, a whole lot of faith to put in somebody. And as an innovator in agriculture, you have to be respectful of that and be mindful of their downside risk, Yeah. right? Which is significantly higher than anything that could ever happen to your business. If Hello Tractor goes out of business tomorrow, most people here are adaptable enough, they will be okay. Right. If, we lose a far- if we lose a farmer because we ruined their entire season and potentially their entire livelihood, right? This, it's going to be hard to bounce back from that. And so we have to approach the market that way. So, and, and be respectful of the fact that it's going to take a little longer for that person to agree to work with you. That's okay. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think it is something that some uh, founders in this space completely overlook is that exactly what you said, uh, the amount of risk that farmers are mitigating and having to constantly calculate. In fact, I was speaking with a wonderful woman also, she has a startup um, yesterday, and she said something that really stuck with me. There's disproportionate risk on suppliers in the supply chain. And I think you're really mm-hmm. playing into that, right? If we want to gather this market share or market share in agriculture, uh, you have to go in aware that they already carry a huge amount of risk on their shoulders and they're running off of really small profit margins. Um, yeah. So, no, you, you're you're totally spot on with that. So what what trends, maybe kind of on a more big picture scope, what trends have you excited in agriculture? Is there anything positive from where you sit in the world that you're seeing that gets you kind of excited? Yeah, I think um, definitely a shift towards more climate smart forms of agriculture. Um, I think farmers are acutely aware of especially in our region, how they're being disproportionately affected by climate change and their willingness to adopt new technologies like no-till farming, minimal till, ripping the soil, breaking the hard pan. Um, These are all things that I think will pay off massive dividends for the farmers, for our climate, and even carbon sequestration. Uh, And it's good to see those decisions trending in that direction. And we just want to make sure we're there to make sure the equipment is available for them to adopt those practices. So what we've done as a company is in our finance program, create underwriting incentives uh, for people who are adopting these climate smart technologies for regenerative agriculture. They, They get a reduction in their down payment requirement. In some instances, they have zero down payment to own that equipment. No, they still get tracked closely. They still have to perform against their plan. Uh, and we do hold them accountable to that. We track it very closely through the technology. Um, we want all our customers to be successful, both the tractor owners, but also the farmers. We expect that, that tractor to show up in their field. Um, but it's nice to see that trend towards regenerative agriculture. Um, and that's accelerating at such a high rate across our entire ecosystem, right on down to the farmer's decision to adopt that technology in their field. Uh, the second trend is women's involvement in mechanization. Um, one of the other things that we underwrite towards is creating more of a gender balance and who gets to own tractors. Um, similarly, reducing our down payment requirements. And so we've been able to create a third of our borrowers are women now. So a third of our tractor owners um, under the page you go tractor finance program. And that's also exciting to see because the truth is most of the women on the continent Women are the drivers of agriculture, but they don't have access to the assets. And that's weird, right? Because like they are actually standing at the vanguard. And so being able to get equipment out so they can extract the most value for their effort um, is also pretty special to see. And that's a trend that we hope will continue to move in that direction. So yeah, lots to be excited about. That's, I I like the women in agriculture part. And I think, you know, it, it, mechanization is a big part of that too. I I mean, I grew up on a farm and, you know, had I been out there tilling with my hands, I probably would have said, nope, this is a man's job. Like there's no way I'm going to sit there and get these blisters and, you know, yeah, yeah. because 
uh, you know, there was tractors. I actually was out there right alongside everyone else sitting there doing the work. Right. And I think, um, that's really relatable to me because mechanization does allow for a lot more diverse grouping of individuals to work in this sector. Right. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's that's where we're kind of headed as as a as a species, right? Um, is more yeah. and more inclus- inclusivity in a lot of industries. Um, mm-hmm. No, that that's super cool. Um, I, so if we can, you know, leaving all of the geopolitics and um, even Hello Tractor a bit aside, let's dig in a little deeper into wh- where you grew up in the states kind of what was your career trajectory? I mean, I, I still want to know about the World Economic Forum before we conclude how that fits into this picture um, and how you kind of got there. But maybe let's just start with where were you born? I mean, what 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 was your kind of background? Yeah, yeah I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so from the Midwest, but from an urban, you know, for those not from the States, the east side of Cleveland is a city traditionally based on the manufacturing economy when that got offshore um, to Mexico and China, that city got hit pretty hard. And uh, so it's a, it's a upbringing that I appreciate deeply. Uh, I value some of those relationships that I built for my upbringing more than, you know, even throughout my, my career and the interesting places my career has taken me. Um, and what I learned during that time period, I think, is, is something that's lived with me. Um, but it's your typical kind of urban, U.S. urban city, lower income, high, high unemployment, but uh, ritual grit, um, tenacity, character matters a lot where I grew up. And I hope that I bring those qualities into business. I hope whether we succeed or fail, if we do it the right way, I'd be proud of myself. And I think the folks I grew up with in my community would be proud, would be proud of me. Um, but yeah, so I, when I left to go to college, you know, I had an interest in finance because I saw that as a, a real gap. And um, low-income communities globally typically don't have access to high finance, at least, and bringing large pools of capital that can make real structural changes. And that's what got me initially interested in investment banking. I had a, a phenomenal mentor um, in, throughout college and beyond who, who kind of educated me on finance and the power of finance. And he took an interest in me, put me under his wing, a guy named Larry Talley. And um, that positioned me for that career. I, I got a lot of arrows in my quiver while working in that career. And, and then I now translated into entrepreneurship, right? And uh, first in still in finance and deal structuring, but then ultimately in Hello Tractor. And Hello Tractor, because it was so crazy of an idea, right? It, it gave us a lot of attention, which gave me access to things like, you know, serving in the Obama administration or, the World Economic Forum stuff that you mentioned in the circular economy uh, uh, cohort. Um, and that's that's all cool stuff, right? Like those, but I think they're cool because they created more visibility to an important problem, right? Like, is it cool? Is it a cool bullet point on the resume? Yeah. But more important than that, it's created all sorts of acceleration in the work that we could have never anticipated. And I'm deeply appreciative to these organizations, to White House, to World Economic Forum, to all the big and small. Like, honestly, I wake them all the same, completely honestly. And because they positioned us to to be in a, a place where we can at least see a line of sight on how we can solve these massive, deeply entrenched problems, right? And uh, you can't go at it alone. And we've been fortunate to have some of the most amazing collaborators, dedicated partners who see a vision for the world and the future as we see it. And they're willing to do the work to accomplish that vision. I, I love that. I love that. And I, I love that um, you didn't just kind of, it's not just a great look on the CV, but it's actually something that drove impact for the problem you're trying to solve. And, you know, you said something really interesting as well. Poverty is a global problem. It exists in the States. Mm -hmm. 
it even exists mm -hmm. in, in, in Europe, right? Like it's, it's, it's all over the planet. And how do we shed some more spotlight on these communities and, and integrate them into these global spaces or globalization, right? Because there is this huge trend happening of the world getting more global. And there's certain communities that are absolutely being left behind in that. Um, so yeah, I, I really like that you use you know your time on and it's it's incredible right you were on capitol hill I, I i take it you were actually working then in the white house at times i mean that was your world for an, a stint or was it not that hands-on? no i was an advisor in the president's advisory council okay. for business in africa that was under commerce so uh, and that was a council of, of business leaders, both innovators like Hello Tractor, but then also mostly large corporates advising the president on the, you know, how to engage with the continent to not only serve U.S. business and political interests, but also where is that nexus between U.S. interests and also developing the continent in a more sustained way? you know, rebuilding that soft power. Um, and so that was a special moment because we brought a new voice into those discussions um, as innovators with boots on the ground. And then, you know, I was the chair of the, the technology subcommittee on that. Um, so it was interesting to, to be able to talk about things as we saw it from our vantage point, kind of at the very bottom of the totem pole. Um, but then it was also fascinating to be able to engage with business leaders at some of the most successful large corporations on earth and learning from them, right? Like they have a wealth of knowledge, right? Like, and everybody has a role to play, right? And, um, I don't weight, um, anybody more heavily, uh, but I'm open to learning from anyone. And, and there was just a wealth of knowledge on that council. And we collaborated ultimately with a number of those businesses. Um, IBM was on the council. We started some work with them, um, particularly on, on some of the AI work that we were bringing in to our business back in 2018. Um, Adco was on the council as well. John Deere is now on the council. Um, so you, you see all these relevant businesses um, doing the doing the work and really helping to even shape U.S. policy in Africa, doing it in a way where there's mutual benefit. I think that's that's really special. That is so cool. So so because there's a lot of listeners we're trying to target as well, or who are in their maybe early stages of their career who are trying to kind mm -hmm. of get into maybe even following a similar path that you took, right? Driving impact, yeah. bridging some of these gaps that you've successfully bridged. H mm -hmm. How did you get into a program like this? I mean, what were some right moves maybe you made to get these opportunities? I really wish there was a formula. Um, I was very lucky to um, host a panel when Obama visited Kenya uh, in 2016, I believe. Um, it was the first U.S. president visiting the continent in a number of years. And I hosted a panel with President Obama and President Kenyatta, who was the president of Kenya at the time. And that put me on the radar with the White, with the White House. So when a seat opened up on this advisory council, I was invited to, to join, which I happily accepted. Um, but I wish there was a formula for it. It was like pure luck. Even I, was, I wasn't even going, going to attend the conference where I was being invited to host these two pre sitting presidents because I didn't know, they didn't tell me at the time that that's who my panelists would be. So I was like, I'm not interested. Like, I'm busy. I'm trying to build Hello Tractor. I can't leave Nigeria to fly to Kenya to do all this conference stuff. You know, folks love conferences, especially in this part of the world for some reason. And I was like, no. And I, I had a friend who worked at State Department and she called me up. She said, Jill, like, I can't give you details on why everybody's pushing you to come to this conference, but you really need to come. <laughs> Just trust me. <laughs> So just having good friends who are, you know, looking out for me and mixed in with some luck and being prepared, I suppose, to some degree, 
um, is what led to this opportunity, which then unlocked a number of other opportunities uh, for me and most importantly for the company and the, and the communities that we service. So you've met Obama is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I met him a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a, good, a, he's few a good times. <laughs> he's a good no, I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean it to sound that way because it is important. It is important for me personally, right? Like very important. Like that is a special moment, right? But within the, the scope and context of the business, um, it was a huge unlock for us too as a business. And, and while I was, you know, you can take a, a brief pause and reflect on how important it is as an African-American male to meet the first black president. Um, that's a special moment, yes. Um, and I don't want to minimize that or be fake. It's special. Like, it's special, right? But, um, but I think what we can possibly do with the company because of that opportunity and so many other serendipitous moments in our history, um, I actually believe that that's going to be even more special, right? Where we are today versus where we started that Delta, that's special. And where we intend to go over the next few years it's just it's inspiring it's, it's hard to even sometimes take inventory of these special moments because you're so focused on this this hairy ambitious goal um and as we move towards it you know maybe i can get more comfortable with taking stock of these moments <laughs> My wife always tells me I need to live in the moment and appreciate the things that are happening more. I struggle with that a bit, but uh, but yes, Alicia, yes, that was a special moment. Yes, I yeah, <laughs> I, I I I very much relate, and I think we're all very excited to see what you do next, Jaheel. I mean, the track record's there. Don't want to raise the bar too high, but um, I, we're excited what to see what you're going to do with Hello Tractor. Thanks. Yeah, we got a good team, dedicated folks, wicked smart from Africa, working on Africa. And I'm, I'm also excited to see where we can take this. So la very last question. Um, any words of wisdom you'd like to give the audience? Anything, you know, maybe even looking at some of our younger audience mm -hmm. or um, is there any last parting words of wisdom? Patience. Um, patience. Time can be your friend or your enemy, and it's all based on expectations around when things should happen. And I think with effort and commitment, anything is possible, but you can't pick the timeline when you'll have that breakout moment. So patience is the key ingredient and perseverance. We live in a, a, a moment in time where there's a premium on instant gratification, um, but if you can set all that aside and discipline yourself to just be patient, I think it's amazing what is possible. There's absolutely no ceiling. And uh, I think that's true for the work that we do. And I think that's true for everybody listening to this podcast. Brilliant. I love that. Thank you so much, Jaheel. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Alicia. I appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.